Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Did I tell you I bought our car from Carvana? Yeah, ma. It was so easy. I found the perfect car. Under budget, too. And I get seven days to love it or my money back. I love it! I thought online meant no one to help me. But Susan from Carvana had all the answers. She didn't try to upsell me. Not once. Buying a used car is practically a universally hated experience. Stories of shady dealerships are alarmingly easy to find and handling these used dealership horror stories can be a massive pain. Polls have said that out of around a thousand people surveyed, 20% would willingly give up sex for a month if it meant avoiding the hassle of haggling at dealerships. So yeah, we really hate car dealerships apparently. Despite this, the automotive industry is the largest retail vertical in the country, at least according to Garcia, one of the founders of Carvana. When Carvana came to be, it was meant to eliminate the hair pulling and headache inducing experience of buying a car by making it straightforward and simple. You go online, look up the kind of car you want, search the year, make, model, price, all that good stuff, then pay the price listed and have it delivered to you. For anyone that doesn't want to go to a dealer or who may not have the time to do so, this was perfect. When Carvana's building was first unveiled, it was jokingly called a car vending machine, prompting the company to turn it into an actual car vending machine. We're Carvana, the company who invented car vending machines and buying a car 100% online. Now we've created a brand new way for you to sell your car. Whether it's a year old or a few years old, we wanna buy your car. So go to Carvana and enter your license plate, answer a few questions, and our techno wizardry calculates your car's value and gives you a real offer. And how cool is that? The future is here and the future was Carvana. The company started in 2012, but this building was unveiled in Nashville in 2015. Fortune claimed that while the concept was catchy, it was also built on a quote, foundation of legitimate scalability and rock solid culture. Though they may have had the makings of a supposedly fantastic company, Carvana wasn't creating massive waves, at least not in the beginning. There's little information on their early years, but in 2017, they filed for an IPO or initial public offering. They also opened up more locations in Houston, Austin, and San Antonio around the time. You'd think that in order to be opening all these new vending machines, they must've been doing well. Instead, Carvana still wasn't actually earning a profit, having lost about $152 million from their founding to the time they filed. They did manage to raise $460 million from unnamed investors alone though. Now, turning a profit can be hard for a new company. So all they really needed was time to get this idea off the ground, time and a pandemic. If you don't mind, I wanna take a, a moment to take a victory lap and say it's our first positive quarter and to thank all the people of Carvana that have worked so hard over the last eight years to make that possible. You know, eight years ago we launched, we sold a couple hundred cars and this quarter we sold over a hundred thousand cars and this year we'll sell a thousand times as many cars we sold that first year and to do that and have our first profitable quarter is something that we're really, really proud of. And so thank you to everyone out there on the Carvana team, great job. As you can imagine, the pandemic absolutely propelled Carvana forward. Becoming contactless was a breeze for them. 
All he had to do was implement a program called touchless delivery. And according to one of the founders, Carvana was able to do more work in the span of a week and a half than they had in months. Aragon, an early Carvana employee told Fortune, 2020 helped us. It is okay to have passion and show empathy for a terrible experience. We are not pushing a sale. We are creating an experience for our customers. The people and the culture have allowed us to sustain. We protect it dearly. After all, Carvana's profits from the pandemic were simply due to the fact that they were able to provide people with the service they needed, buying cars in a contactless way that hadn't traditionally been done. It paid off in more ways than one. They made the Fortune 500 list just nine years after they'd been founded. This placed them at the third fastest company to make the list, as Amazon and Google both made it eight years after launch. And to just repeat how impressive that is, they were right behind Amazon and Google in the race to make the Fortune 500 list. In 2021, they announced that they finally made their first positive net income quarter, seemingly proving that Carvana was viable, could be profitable, and could make a major impact on the way we buy cars. So then imagine the surprise when they laid off about 2,500 workers via Zoom in May, 2022. According to a former employee, Jay Romero, he heard nothing directly from managers, but was just told about an email from founder Garcia. Then he lost access to the company's corporate network, email, and Slack, and was told to attend the meeting. It was a very scary experience, Romero explained. I had no support from anybody, no management, no team leads. One of Carvana's slogans is treat customers as you would treat your own mom. And we didn't get treated that way as employees. Another former employee, Leigh France, alleged that workers weren't even allowed to ask questions on the Zoom call, saying that the handling of the situation was so disrespectful. If Carvana was really doing so well, why lay off thousands of workers less than a year after their most profitable and only profitable quarter? Though they blamed a car buying shortage, something definitely seemed off about this little Fortune 500 darling. Soon, employees weren't the only ones complaining about Carvana. So were the customers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Carvana shares are down by 6%. Used car vending machines. I warned you away from Carvana last week because it's exactly the kind of unprofitable company that absolutely does not work in the current environment. Sure enough, Carvana stock has been hammered. Got 9% yesterday going into the quarter. A sure sign that somebody realized something was very Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be taking a look at the online car company, Carvana. Now, a lot can go wrong with buying a car online, and as Carvana exploded in popularity, it also exploded in complaints. One of which was the fact that customers weren't even getting their titles. Obviously, you need a title in order to register and drive your car, but Carvana didn't really seem to care about that. One man told Fox 4 News in Kansas City that he was waiting 11 months for a title. Apparently, he went to the DMV to try and sort it out, and they laughed because so many people were dealing with the same issue. It wasn't until the news pointed out that Carvana can legally only wait 30 days to send a title that they finally provided it. And I've got to be honest, this just feels like pure incompetence to me. It's not as if Carvana was really gaining anything by holding onto this piece of paper as they already sold and sent out the car. And this very first example is actually one of the reasons why I decided to even dig into Carvana. 
See, I have a sister for those of you that don't know. She tends to stay pretty private, so I'm not really gonna mention much else about her. But I will mention this. In 2020, she purchased a car from Carvana and she couldn't get rid of those ugly little Carvana temp tags until a year and a half later. So she was just driving around on expired temp tags for like a year and a half and there was nothing she could do about it. I had even tried helping her calling Carvana and trying to you know, find out what the hell was going on to really just kind of get stonewalled on the call. And so that really got me thinking. She, she did for the record eventually get her plates, but you know, a year and a half late is like really not acceptable, honestly. But she didn't have the paperwork where she was able to go get actual plates. So that's kind of why this episode was created is because I saw a firsthand experience from my own sister about what was going on. And I was like, there's gotta be more to the pie than this. And it turns out there is. But in the meantime, in the context of just talking about titling issues, it just proves how little Carvana actually cares about their customers because they couldn't even give them a title to a car they purchased. People also took their complaints online to Reddit, where one user said that the secret seemed to be just pushing the Carvana support team to submission until they are tired with dealing with you. Another user wrote, I can't get insurance here without a plate number and I can't get a plate number without titles or current registration, which has been expired. And that person added that they too had this issue for a year and a half, which is a very interesting timeline. Why did it take a year and a half? Cause I'm sure that this person and my sister were not the only ones who had to wait a year and a half, just saying. Now, while Fox 4 News in Kansas City encourages people to file complaints with the attorney general in their state, it does seem ridiculous that this would have been a thing at all. Carvana can wait a month to give sellers some temporary paper tags, but when the tags expire, they're leaving people with a useless, expensive hunk of metal. Plus, while this is just an assumption, I highly doubt that many individuals who buy used cars are doing so because they don't intend on driving it. You might need this car for daily errands, grocery shopping, doctor's visits, taking your kids to school, getting to and from work, whatever the reason. So the fact that you can't even use it months after buying it, I'd be infuriated. One man named Gary told ABC that in June, 2021, he bought a three-year-old Lincoln. He chose Carvana because he has severe back pains and didn't wanna walk around a dealership. Carvana assured him that it would take a month to get his car registration and title, but when his temporary tags expired, they were nowhere to be found. They gave him a second set of tags, but those too expired. Then they sent Gary a third set. He told ABC. In August, I started reaching out to Carvana, even started calling, but they never returned my phone calls and I never hear from them again. They'd make promises that they would solve the problem, but I'd never hear back. There was no resolution until I reached out to ABC 13 and made you guys aware of it. A few days after that, their executive resolutions team contacted me and that's when there was an actual two-way conversation. Basically, you can go to an attorney general or the news, and then you might get the title you paid for in a more timely fashion. Texas DMV records alone saw over a dozen complaints related to the issue, but hundreds more complaints have been rolling in. The BBB fielded 899 complaints about Carvana last year. And while I do have my issues with the BBB themselves and their ranking system, the absolute outpouring of complaints is impossible to ignore. One Denver customer, Dennis, even alleged that Carvana actually sold him a car that had been stolen from Memphis and it was clearly damaged. When an inspection was run on the car, it was clear that the vehicle was a total loss and had poorly repaired crash damage, yet it somehow made it through Carvana's magical and mystical 150 point inspection. In some cases, this had culminated in lawsuits. Attorney Robert Coco said that they had filed two class action lawsuits against Carvana for their failure to deliver permanent registration to customers with some of these wait periods being as long as two years. 
and for those customers who chose to drive their cars anyway, have been questioned or arrested for not having inspection stickers or proper registration. But it's not just customers having these massive issues with Carvana, but the states themselves too. In California, Carvana allegedly didn't even have a dealer's or transporter's license. This young, fresh, exciting new company is clearly falling apart at the seams with this incompetence. They had to pay close to a million dollars to settle the dispute, but they didn't admit any wrongdoing, hence the allegedly here. Now, not only that, but the cars that they were transporting didn't have an inspection report as required by California law. The DMV in Raleigh had a similar issue, not inspecting cars, as well as Carvana issuing out-of-state temporary tags and plates. The North Carolina Division of Motor Vehicles handled things a bit differently though, and rather than going straight for Carvana's wallet, shut down their Raleigh dealership for 180 days. In this case, Carvana only had to pay a $500 fine and $200 in fees. They've also had issues in Florida where they were told to clean up their act in terms of title delays and a class action suit had been filed against them in Pennsylvania too. Out-of-state temporary tags, a failure to even have transportation licenses, violations of the Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act. It's impressive really just how poorly this business is run. You'd think that if Carvana really wanted to earn a profit and do well that, you know, they'd shape up. But here's the thing, when a company has a few careless mistakes or a bad business model, it's not all that surprising. It happens a lot in these episodes, obviously. But when a company truly cares this little about its customers, you have to wonder why. And as it turns out, there's a reason for this. Carvana's purpose isn't actually selling cars, they're selling loans. Subprime lending is Carvana's bread and butter, getting people who can't really afford cars behind the wheel. Joseph Wilde, who wrote the article, Remember, Carvana Sells Debts, Not Cars, speculated in 2020 that this is one of the things that led them to open multiple locations in Texas in the first place. Texas is apparently a bit notorious for relying on cars for transportation and auto loans, so it makes, you know, an easy customer base. Understanding what happens behind the scenes at Carvana is a tangled web to unweave, but it all starts with Ernest Garcia II. He's been involved with subprime loans for decades. Back in the 1990s, he even pled guilty to bank fraud, admitting to obtaining a $30 million line of credit that allowed Lincoln Savings and Loan to hide its ownership in a risky desert Arizona land. Although the straw man deal was part of a much larger fraud, it's Garcia's next move that piques my interest the most. He bought up a retail car chain called Ugly Duckling for less than a million dollars. Turned out the name was extremely appropriate as this ugly duckling soon became a swan, raising $170 million when the stock market rose. A few years later in 2001, Garcia bought back all the shares he didn't own, taking back full control of the company and renaming it DriveTime. According to Forbes, in 2017, DriveTime was generating about $2.5 billion annually and was extremely profitable. Yet it's not really just the cars themselves that make DriveTime such a success. You know those ads that say, no credit, no problem, or the commercials that say they'll approve you regardless of credit? These ads tend to paint the picture that they're the good guys saving you from a dealership that doesn't want to give you a car. That's certainly true of drive time as their commercials heavily featured the message of no credit, no problem, and how easy it is for you to get approved on your phone and see what your monthly payment would be. At drive time, we approve 99% of people who apply and we show you your real down payment. And your real monthly payment. Right, I almost forgot so I can get approved on my phone and see my real down payment. And your real monthly payment. Yep, we get it, Tim. While it's true that approval may be easier at places like DriveTime, this often comes with a catch, like extremely high interest rates. Think around 18% interest. 
Or if you go delinquent on your payments, then collection employees at drive time might be making harassing debt collection calls very regularly to you. Considering that around half of their auto installment contracts were delinquent at one point in time, that's a lot of harassing phone calls to make. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau even alleged that DriveTime provided inaccurate credit information to credit reporting agencies, forcing the company to pay an $8 million civil penalty for this. Not that that's even you know, really a slap on the wrist when they make billions, but I digress. Now, more specifically here, Consumer Finance reports that the information inaccurately reflected the timing of repossessions and dates of first delinquency. This made it appear on consumers' credit reports that consumers' vehicles had been repossessed more recently than the actual date. So, you know, it kind of seems like drive time was just messing with people's credit for funsies, which is gross. Carvana, from what I can tell, is much of the same. Its current CEO is Garcia's son, Ernie Garcia III. They even started as a subsidiary of drive time, so it's safe to say that these two companies are deeply connected. Even if on the outside, Carvana is seen as a vision of the future of car buying, the actual behind the scenes process isn't anything revolutionary. If anything, Carvana is different for all the wrong reasons. For one, they rely on finance and insurance for about half of their gross margin. Like other We Approve Everyone dealers, they have incredibly high interest rate loans. These loans can be risky assets for Carvana to have because the borrowers might have low credit or even zero credit. This isn't unusual, yet as companies might sell these loans as a group or tranches to investors, other auto lenders will keep a debt on their books while they do this, then record gains and losses over time. But according to the Wall Street Journal, Carvana just books gains on these cash sales to bolster revenue. And this puts them in a tricky position should the debt market condition change. But in 2020, it was exactly the right place to be in. Remember how Carvana was suddenly finding themselves with so much success during the pandemic, making their first profitable quarter only to fire people later? Well, in essence, during this profitable timeframe, Carvana wasn't selling the loans. After all, car costs were at a record high, stimulus checks were coming in, and an unprecedented period for subprime auto loans had emerged. And they were in a fantastic position for just a fleeting moment, for that one glorious profitable quarter. Then things started to stabilize a bit more, more loans began to default, and it became clear that no, actually, Carvana isn't that profitable at all. Seeking Alpha goes so far as to compare them to a Ponzi scheme and the infamous company Enron, stating that Carvana keeps bringing in investors when they aren't really making a damn thing. They lose money on every car that they sell. They look to only be months away from bankruptcy on their financial statements, but they keep themselves alive by bringing in investors. Carvana has said that they aren't aware of any evidence that gains on loan sales are unsustainable. But again, just a glance at their confusing, messy, poor finances makes me wonder how the hell they came to such a conclusion. Don't they, of all people, know just how unstable this is when they can't turn a profit and have to take shady back alleyways of reporting their numbers just to look successful? Well, here's the thing, Carvana is successful. In fact, it brings in a ton of money, but only if your last name happens to be Garcia. We've got the pandemic under control and perhaps car companies can produce more cars, which might reduce the value of used cars and everybody's moved who has to move. So maybe everyone's already bought their cars. I think there's a lot going on there. Um, I think there's been a lot going on in the macro economy over the last you know, two years, give or take. I think to us, what we focus on is, is our customers and, and focus on ourselves. And you know, we've grown by two and a half times. We've grown our GPU by $1,200. We've levered EBITDA by 600 basis points. So I think you know, what we do is we focus on our customers and, and by doing that, uh, we think that we're well-served in the long haul. Now, let me tell you something. 
If you buy a share in a company, you'd expect to have the same amount of voting power as anyone else with just one share, right? One share equals one vote, that's fair. Now imagine that the founder and founder's father of said company have 10 times the voting power you get for a single share. Is that still fair? Well, basic math dictates that no, it clearly isn't, but this is exactly how Carvana is actually set up. Ernest Garcia II and Ernie Garcia III have 10 times more voting power than anyone else with shares in their company. Now, this might make more sense if the company were private as these lenders would want to run their company the way they choose. Even though Carvana went public, the Garcias are effectively in charge regardless of what the public or other shareholders want. Their shares aren't just more powerful, but how they've acquired them has also pissed off investors in recent years. A Delaware lawsuit was brought against them when the Garcia family allegedly bought up big chunks of the company on the cheap as Carvana shares went down during the pandemic. The Garcia family would have known better than anyone that the company was doing well in spite of COVID-19. But rather than share the information, they took advantage and bought up as much as they could. What do they do with these shares, you ask? Well, if speculation is to be believed, it's simply put, insider trading. See, when you've got a company as giant as Carvana, there's a few things that can be done to try and prevent insider trading. No one wants to see one of the higher ups just suddenly selling off massive amounts of shares, for example. To keep yourself from shocking investors, if you've got like a large number of shares, investors can make a 10B5-1 plan that basically tells other insiders, hey, I'm going to sell X amount of shares on X date. In theory, this isn't necessarily a bad idea. It allows insiders to sell shares if they so choose, while also holding them accountable to set a plan. The trouble here is that these 10B5-1 plans don't really hold insiders accountable because higher-ups can just cancel or modify the plans all the time. This essentially makes them nothing but empty promises and useless pieces of paper. Garcia II has become notorious for making and breaking these plans with Carvana. The company's stocks rose fourfold from March to September, 2020, and Garcia, sensing an opportunity, started selling his shares in October. According to the Wall Street Journal, his first sale netted about $388 million. Then he sold 30,000 shares per day in November under his 10B5-1 plan, modified it, sold a chunk worth almost half a billion dollars of stock in December, modified the plan again, and then sold about 50,000 shares per day in December. Daniel Taylor, a professor of accounting at the Wharton School has studied tens of thousands of these plans. And he stated that he can't recall another of this size where there are modifications every six months. Taylor also told the Wall Street Journal, quote, the existing structure has allowed them to run this $60 billion public company as if it's a family firm and for the family's benefit. It's amazing. It really is amazing, but again, only in the worst of ways. The Garcias have 10 times the voting power. They change their plans at an unprecedented rate for these amounts, according to an expert within the field. Carvana as a company seems unprofitable, like it's on its last legs. But as long as they can keep getting investors and presenting this like it's revolutionary business, then Garcia II can continue to sell his shares and cash out, buying them back up at those basement prices when things look bad. In my opinion, this is an absolute joke of a company. There's absolutely nothing to like. I mean, they're not even honest with themselves. Garcia's old felony charge about his 1990 fraud wasn't included in Carvana's SEC filings. And even though Garcia II isn't an officer or director, he seems to have such a strong influence on Carvana that it just feels wrong that his questionable past wasn't mentioned. 
After all, he created DriveTime, the company that Carvana was originally a subsidiary of, and he's an investor. Isn't it worth knowing this kind of information? As an aside, Garcia and his son also live right next door to each other. This isn't weird or terrible in the sense that you can't live next to your parent, but the closeness between them feels just a hair sketchy. It's like Garcia II has enough sense to stay in the shadows and play with his shares without putting himself in any spotlight, while his son, Garcia III, is still pulling the strings and operating Carvana as the CEO. Now, I could be wrong, and this is just my opinion, but the dynamic that I've seen in my research leaves an extremely gross taste in my mouth. Now, if there is anyone out there that's considering investing millions into Carvana, which I'd be really surprised if they'd be tuning into one of my episodes, but I do think that it's up to them to do their due diligence to some extent. Research who exactly is behind the company you're about to invest in. Don't support this strange, allegedly Ponzi scheme-esque company that wears the word revolutionary like a badge of honor when all they've done is create an oversized glass vending machine. I've yet to actually find anything incredible and unique and wonderful in their business model. Again, the only original thing about it is how it manages to divert from the average sustainable car dealership business models that are already available. However, for those that have used Carvana, it's not hard to see why they've been duped. Carvana's confusing finances are tricky to navigate. And though I feel like the company is nothing more than a bank for the Garcias, they present themselves in an entirely different light in their commercials. But before we get into that, I'm just gonna take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors before we have to deal with unraveling Carvana's shitty ads. So with that being said, here's the not shitty sponsors. Now, when you run a business, a legitimate business, time is very precious. Every misplaced moment can feel like a missed opportunity and a lost chance to make your own business better. Thankfully, ShipStation is here and it helps to automate time-intensive shipping processes so you can get back to focusing on bigger things. I use ShipStation because you can use them with a variety of different storefronts and you can use them with a variety of different carriers and they just neatly list everything out. It's very easy to understand and you can quickly compare prices and choose what's going to be best for what you're sending out. And it works, like I said, with a whole host of storefronts. So if you're selling on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, and more, it lets you automate all the manual work that goes into shipping. In fact, 98% of companies that use ShipStation for a year keep using it as long as they're in business. So like I've been saying, that really means something. So it's time to let go of all those shipping tasks. ShipStation can do it better and faster. Sign up using promo code CASKET for a free 60-day trial today at ShipStation.com and start saving time with every shipment. That's two whole months of shipping made quick and painless, and it's free to try. Again, go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and just type in the word CASKET. ShipStation, make ship happen. Shopping for new clothes can be also time-consuming and stressful. So why not let Stitch Fix do all of the work so you can spend more time doing things that you actually like? And you guys know the deal, you go to a store, maybe they have your size, maybe they don't. You have to go out in public, you have to deal with other people, which gross. And you know, COVID's always flaring back up again. And so I I don't wanna catch it. I don't wanna play that game again. And thankfully, Stitch Fix allows me to do some shopping at home without having to deal with any of that in-person shenanigans. And Stitch Fix is super easy to use. You just take your Stitch Fix profile quiz, you answer a couple questions about what you like to wear, what you don't, your sizes, you know, the length of your torso and how open you are to trying new styles. 
And for the record, I realized that that just sounded really weird, but they ask a ton of different measurement questions and I have a longer torso. And so a lot of times shirts are like really short on me. So I was so relieved when I started shopping with Stitch Fix that they asked about torso length. I was like, thank you. So when you get your box from Stitch Fix, they send you five pieces to try on at home. You simply keep what you love and you send back what you don't. Shipping, returns, and exchanges are all easy and free. Plus, there's no subscription required. You can try it once or set up automatic deliveries. The choice is yours. So sign up today at stitchfix.com casket to get $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's stitchfix.com casket to get $20 off your first purchase. This is a limited time offer and you have to make a purchase within two days of signing up to get that 20 bucks off. Now, a CarMax commercial will show things like a farmer receiving their new vehicle and an alpaca sitting in the front seat. The words car buying reimagined might flash across the screen, as well as buy online, we deliver. CarMax may or may not be much better than Carvana, but this episode isn't about them and I haven't done research on CarMax. But the point here is that the message of the ad is clear. You can buy and sell a car online. Vroom depicts a weird Wild Western sort of dealership that tells the viewer, hey, don't let this be you. Go buy a car online instead and we'll deliver it contact free. Again, pretty straightforward. But Carvana's ads are a little bit different. They insist that the employees aren't salespeople and if you don't like it, you can return it. All their cars go through a rigorous inspection process and they promise that they just want to make you happy. You might've heard of Carvana and that we sell cars online. What you probably didn't know is that we're in the business of making you happy. We believe buying a car should be something that gets you hyped up. That you should be empowered to shop. And zero surprises. So we promise that we'll treat you right. We'll put you in control and all of us will stop at nothing. To drive you happy. But if they care so much about vigorous inspection processes, then why sell cars without state inspections? If you care so much about customers, why literally sell stolen cars, putting customers at risk of arrest? And if they care so much about making employees happy and offering great customer service, why were there so many people without their titles for months, if not years? Another part of this isn't just their advertisement, but the fact that Carvana also masquerades as a tech company, or at least according to Seeking Alpha. Their 2019 article accuses Tesla and Wayfair of doing the same thing, claiming that these kinds of facades only last so long. They wrote, "'We believe that Carvana, like Tesla and Wayfair, will collapse once growth investors finally realize the company is, at heart, a low-tech car dealership and not a high-tech platform company.'" And they do bring up some interesting points. After all, selling cars online isn't that new. And while it may be a preferred buying experience for many, it's not as if Carvana is offering much that others don't. One of the things that they and Wayfair seem to upsell to investors are their 360 degree viewing and glass vending machines. But these cosmetic features don't really change the fact that at its core, Carvana is just a dealership, a dealership with an exceedingly questionable business model. Not only do they continue to lose money, but the volatility of their stocks also makes them extremely hard to value and it's unpredictable. One Forbes contributor also went so far as to call Carvana a falling knife that could cut your portfolio. They explained that it's a stock with a steep decline that has further to fall. This was only a few months ago, but the writer says that they put Carvana in the danger zone all the way back in 2020. So people have been aware. The company doesn't seem to be able to justify its share prices with black and white facts like growth revenues. The whole tech facade and difficult to pinpoint valuation do seem to come into play here because Carvana's share price has baffled quite a few people in recent years. Some claim they're a great business, but a terrible stock with articles from Fortune pointing to the Garcias actually losing a massive portion of their wealth in recent months as the stock market plummeted. 
Of course, Garcia insists that they're not a pandemic stock that artificially boomed because people had been buying used cars for a very long time. He told Fortune, I think that's a mischaracterization in the sense that our market wasn't created by the pandemic or wasn't materially altered by the pandemic. And my opinion, I don't believe him for a minute. He must know that the profitable quarter was all due to the perfect storm that the pandemic created, but whatever. More and more people are talking about this as Carvana begins to sink. Aubrey Janik made a couple videos breaking down this situation. And by the end of one of her recent deep dives, she concludes, Carvana is a used car originator disguised as a car dealer masquerading as a tech company. Personally, I tend to lean in agreement with the assessment and those that criticize Carvana as the Garcia's piggy bank. Plenty of people don't like car dealerships, but I'd rather go to an in-person one than ever deal with a company like Carvana. But with all of that being said, those are just my opinions, my thoughts, things I've been thinking about, and obviously the story of Carvana from my perspective and understanding. So thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you did learn something new here today, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. And I also wanna give a quick little shout out to all the patrons over on patreon.com slash Illuminati. You guys are the real MVPs. And with that being said, thank you all so much for joining me for another episode. Again, I do really appreciate it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.